Good morning. Would you like to stand? Could we stand like this? Like this? Like, <laughs> sorry, had to. <laughs> the real reason we're here is to offer praises to our King. So let's sing together this morning.
Amen. Don't we have an awesome praise team? Y'all can be seated for a few minutes. Good. It's so good to see everybody. How's everyone doing? Everyone have a good weekend? Or should I ask, did everyone have a good weekend? Sorry, I had to. Yeah. Rewatch it in the live stream and you'll see what I did there, okay? Anyway, it's so good to see everybody. I hope everyone's had an awesome, awesome weekend, great family time, um, and just we're just so glad that have you back here at Kavanaugh Church this weekend. Uh, if you're a guest, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's awesome to have you. We would love to, to greet you, to, to welcome you personally after service. So if you will, uh, right outside these back doors, there's a connect counter. We would love to meet you there. And those online, thanks so much for tuning in. Glad to have you again. Um, this morning, my devotions, uh, before uh, I got in, got settled, even before I got my coffee, believe it or not. Um, I know. Um, in my devotions this morning, I was reading the Bible, a story where there was a guy that, by the name of Jairus that approached Jesus, and he had a need. Um, his daughter was very sick and desperately needed help, so he asked Jesus to come see her. All right, and on the way there, Jesus uh, had another healing miracle, helped a, another woman that was in desperate need as well, and uh, it, it kind of took up some time. By the time that Jesus got to that home of Jairus, his daughter had passed away. As Jesus stepped in the door with his disciples, the people in that house were laughing at Jesus, like, this is the Savior, this is the person that does all these healing miracles, and kind of were making fun of him, poking at him and everything. And, and you know what? Jesus ignored it. He ignored all this, all the skepticism, ignored all the doubt in the room, and he, him, he took his disciples into that room with that girl, and he healed her, brought her back to life. And I don't know about you, but I expect God to do amazing things today. I don't want to be like one of those people. I don't want to be like one of those people that looks to Jesus because my week went bad, or the circumstances of my week were, were rather sour, and I didn't see God necessarily work in the ways that I expected him to, but I want to be able to approach the Lord this morning expecting that he will do great things. And I hope that that's your prayer today, because I know all of our weeks might have, uh, have kind of given us maybe some down moments, that kind of thing, um, and I, maybe we are all coming into this room, maybe some of us skeptics about who Jesus is, maybe not necessarily feeling how God had worked throughout this past week, maybe having some serious questions yourself, but I truly believe that Jesus worked before, he can work now, and he can work every single day in the future. So I hope that you have a believing spirit this morning. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. Thank you for allowing me to preach to you for three minutes. Um, but I truly believe that God can do something awesome this morning in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us back together. And Lord, I pray for that expecting spirit this morning. I really pray for that expecting spirit because I believe that you are a God that can do anything. You're the God of the impossible. You've done it before, and you most certainly can do it again. So bring us to that place where we experience you in your fullness. In this place, as we hear your word preached, that you and us spark belief. You spark hope. You encourage us. You, give us, you bring us to a, a place of joy and satisfaction. Be with the Brother Will. As he preaches the word today, speak it deep into our hearts. Be with our worship team as they continue to lead us in worship. God, you reign today, and thank you for meeting us here at Kavanaugh Church. In your name, amen. Let's worship.
help but think about the sermon that we heard last week about Rahab. And it was all about the grace and the scarlet cord. And where would we be without this unfailing love, this amazing grace, and the fact that he was willing to take our place? Um, I just pray and I hope that we don't sing those words uh, without any meaning, but realize that, that that affects us. That's who we are. We're just like the Rahabs where just on our own, we just naturally go the wrong way, don't we? Um, but thankful for his amazing grace.
We are seeking what you would want for us in our lives, and we want to hear exactly what it is you want us to hear this morning. I'm so thankful for the blessings upon me and upon my family and upon this church, God. And I pray for all of the activities that are going on, God, that your spirit would move, would move freely among the people here this morning that are listening online. And I know, God, that you want to touch us and you want to heal us and you want to save us, but we just have to let you in and receive the free gift of salvation that you have to offer. Once again, I pray, God, for your blessing on Brother Will as he brings us this message and that we would hear exactly what you want to, want us to hear, God. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. in the Lord's house today. Uh, yesterday was 9-11, and uh, we remember what happened 20 years ago on 9-11. Some of you were not born 20 years ago on 9-11. Others of you were here, and some of you remember distinctly where you were and what, happened, what you were doing when the terrorists attacked American soil. I had driven to uh, Moore, Oklahoma that morning to go to a Randall board meeting, and when I stepped into the state office there in Oklahoma, all the other preachers and board members were looking at the TV, and I saw firsthand what had happened while I was driving there. My, my immediate reaction was, I want to get back home, and I want to hug my wife and my babies and do everything I can to protect them. We had no idea what was going to happen from that event, and a lot of things have changed in 20 years. But you know, one thing hasn't changed. There are, there are bad people in our world today. And they want to do harm to others. There are some people in the world who want to kill you just because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It brings us back to the root problem that we have in the world today, and it's a sin problem. And the answer to the problem we have in our world today is Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. So what we need to do today, we need to pray for America, but we need to pray for our world. Matt, we need to pray for a global revival, a great awakening that will sweep across the land and change people from the inside out one person at a time. So would you stand with me this morning and let's spend a moment reflecting, praying for our country, but let's also pray for God to do something amazing in our world. You pray silently and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day and the praise that we've already been able to give to you. I pray, dear Lord, that you would bless our church, our people. Help a revival to start right here at Kavanaugh Church this Sunday morning in this service with these people. I pray that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would yield our lives to you, that we would trust and obey. I pray that a revival would happen globally all over this world, that lost men and women would find true meaning to life in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those who protect us. 
those military men, police officers, men and women who, who put their life on the, the line every day to give us the freedom to come here and worship you as we are today. Help us, dear Lord, to be good citizens, good Americans, but most of all, good Christians. Help us to let our light shine in a dark world and help us to be salt in a corrupt society. I love you, Lord. Do something in this service. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Glad that you're here today. Balcony's looking good this morning. Floor, y'all okay? Everybody on the floor good? Oh, that's terrible. Balcony, let them know how you're doing. Oh, that's better. How about it, floor people? Y'all? Okay. Now, you online. Oh, they're there. They're there. Let me, let me go ahead and deal with the elephant in the room. Uh, <clears throat> I, did, I did grow up in Texas, spent my whole life there, and I, I grew up doing this. I, in fact, there's some people in our church that I have a special handshake with like this. But here's the bottom line. I've lived in Arkansas 24 years. I've sent two of my kids to the University of Arkansas, and I have uh, spent a whole lot of money. It seems like I own a little bit of that campus, all right? So I was not that disappointed last night when the Razorbacks give, gave Texas a whooping, all right? <laughs> made, made a whole lot of you Razorback fans happy. Even you OU fans were happy because Arkansas beat Texas, right? All right, well, we dealt with that, so let's move on. I'm preaching a series of sermons through the book of Joshua, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, God kind of spoke to me and said, preach through Joshua until you move into the new building. This, this book is all about building for the future. And what we are doing is we, we are building tomorrow today. We're doing it today. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to do tomorrow as we move into that new building. But he's doing some great things right now, today. And he's going to do wonderful things in your life this morning. So we're, we've made it to Joshua chapter 3. And it's the crossing of the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River has occupied a unique place, not only in church history, but also in songwriting, in church songwriting. Uh, there are dozens of songs that have been written about the Jordan River. If you grew up in a church like I grew up in, you grew up singing, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land. Where my possessions lie, I am bound for the promised land. Did you, anybody know that song? All right. Or how about this uh, spiritual? I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. That's the, that's, okay. First service people applauded when I did that, so uh, that's kind of where they are and where you are, right? Hey, Brother Johnny's here this morning. Everybody turn around and say hi to Brother Johnny. Glad he's here, doing better. He, he doesn't have medical permission to be back there with your kids, but uh, he's in here with us this morning. Johnny, one, one of my favorite country singers is Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash uh, sang a whole lot of songs about the Jordan River. In an interview, they asked him what his favorite was, and he said, well, my favorite was my mama's favorite. And then he sang it in this interview. It went like this. When I come to the river at the ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, 
There'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Great song. Joshua chapter 3 tells the story of the crossing of the Jordan River. And you might ask, well, why is that such a big deal? Why is the Jordan River such a big deal in the Bible? And the answer is because the Jordan River serves as a boundary marker. It was the last hurdle, the last obstacle that the children of Israel had to cross before they received the promise God gave them. Before they entered into the promised land, they had to cross this river. In fact, that is the very first thing that God said to Joshua when he installed him as leader of the Israelites. Remember Joshua chapter 1, verse number 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them. Joshua chapter 3 emphasizes a great truth, and that is this. God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. God's work's got to be done God's way if God is going to bless it. It's not just about getting across the river. It must be done in such a way where God receives all of the praise, honor, and glory. God will bless anyone who does his work his way. But that's the key. you got to do it his way. And that blessing will be withheld to those who think they have a better idea or a better way to do it than God does. Joshua records the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan River in seven steps here in Joshua chapter 3. And I want us to look at those seven steps because here's, here's the deal. If you've not already done it in your life, you will come to a Jordan River an impassable thing that you've got to cross in order to receive God's blessing for your life. So let's look at how they did it and implement that in our own life. The first one's a killer. It's, it's so exciting, this first point, this, this first step. Here it is. got to wait. <laughs> in order to cross the Jordan River, they had to wait. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, that was the same place they were camped when the two spies went into the city of Jericho and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Now, if you're like me, you would rather do anything than wait. I mean, raise your hand if you hate to wait. The other day, I was in a traffic jam in a, in a different town and, and uh, looked at my uh, GPS on my phone, and they routed me another way around this problem. And you know what? I took it because I could move. It didn't matter that I had to go 10 miles out of the way, and it took me 10 minutes longer. I would rather spend that 10 minutes driving and moving than three minutes sitting and waiting. Are you with me? Some of us would rather do the wrong thing than wait. Waiting may be the hardest part of the Christian life, but God makes his people wait in order to teach them that if the blessing doesn't come through him, 
they're not going to be able to do it on their own. If God is not working through you and you're on board with God, then you know what? You can't do it on your own. We need to remember that truth. What would have happened if they had set out on day one to cross the river? They wouldn't have made it. Day two, they wouldn't have made it. If Joshua had decided to go ahead on his own, it would have been a total disaster. So church, remember this. Waiting time is never wasted time if you're waiting on God. And in every major decision that has occurred in my life, in every river I've had to cross, I guarantee you I've had to wait. And waiting is real hard for me. But you know what? God is working while I'm waiting. He's either working on the other side of the river, preparing things there, or he's working in my life where I need it the most. So we wait. Number two, you've got to put God first. If you're going to cross that river and receive the blessing God has for you, God has got to be first place in your life. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Joshua chapter 3. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Two great things in these verses, the Ark of the Covenant and then that phrase, you've never been this way before. We'll look at both of them. Joshua chapter 3 mentions the Ark of the Covenant nine times. That means that the Ark of the Covenant is the central theme in Joshua chapter 3. You remember the Ark? It was this chest with a gold top on it called the mercy seat. And inside of this box were three articles. First, the Ten Commandments, then Aaron's rod that budded, and then a pot of manna. What it represented was the gracious presence of God amongst his people. That ark represented God himself. And the Lord instructed Joshua to keep a distance of 2,000 cubits which is about a thousand yards or half a mile between the people and the ark. You got to wonder, why, why did he put this difference? I think it was for distance, I think for two reasons. Number one, they were so far ahead so that the people could visibly see them. It could see the ark. And when the ark moved, they knew they needed to move. For us to be able to see God moving is very important. And so he wanted the ark which represented God in front of them. They put God first. But the second reason is that God is holy. And we need to respect the holiness of God. Thus, the space between the ark of God and the people. And you know what? One of the big problems in our world today is that we have lost respect of God. I wish I had a whole other sermon to talk about. We have lost the respect of the Holy One. So Joshua said, the ark goes first. Let's put God first. And then notice the reason in the text. The reason God is first is because you've never been this way before. Now, let's be clear about this point. Only God knows where we need to go. Only God knows where we need to be. Look at me. How many of you have plans for your future? Raise your hand if you've made some plans, okay? 
Half of you didn't raise your hand. I'm really worried about you now. Even though you didn't raise your hand, you got plans. You got plans for this afternoon, for this next week. Maybe you have plans for five years from now or ten years. Maybe you have life plans. If you're like my daughter Callie, they're detailed. They're written out. They're categorized. They're in columns. Others of you, maybe you just have a big idea about where you're going to be five years from now. But you know what? That's great. God gave us the ability to do that. We need to be striving for that. But the bottom line is, you don't really know what's going to be happening in five years from now. The only person who knows where you're going to be five years from now is God himself. He sees. He knows. We need to put God first because he knows what the future holds. And we need to be following him. Spiritual maturity is when you come to a place in your life where you admit, you know what, I really haven't figured it all out yet. I really don't know what's going to happen in the future because I'm not really as smart as what I think I am. You know what, neither am I. But that's okay because Jesus knows where we are. Jesus knows where you are right now. And Jesus knows where you need to be tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. So what do we do? We put God first. Let him lead us. Are you with me? That brings me to the third step. If we want to cross the river and receive the blessings, we need to become holy people. Look at this in our text, verse number 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do what? Amazing things among you. God is going to do something amazing. That is amazing. So you need to consecrate yourself. You need to become holy. The word consecrate means to be set apart as holy. And in the Old Testament, when God told them to consecrate themselves, they would take a bath and put on fresh clothing. It was kind of an, of an outward symbol. But you know what? That is not going to make you holy. If you go home this afternoon and take a shower and put on a, a fresh garments, fresh clothing, you know what? You'll smell good and you'll look good and you'll be clean, but that's just the outside. And when they did it in the Old Testament, it was symbolically outward of what had happened inwardly. They had got their lives cleaned up with God. They had confessed their sins to the Lord. That's what it means to consecrate yourself. You're setting yourself apart as holy. And that is something that happens on the inside. God is telling the Hebrews that they weren't quite ready for the miracle God had for them. He said, tomorrow amazing things are going to happen, but before that can happen, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to clean your life up. You need to become holy. God has to work in us before he can work for us. And maybe this is the reason, listen to me, maybe this is the reason we don't see more amazing things in our own life. Because we have failed at this step. We have failed to be holy. Do you know God commands holiness? He's holy. He says, even as I am holy, you are to be holy. Without holiness, nobody is going to see God. And more than anything this morning, God is calling you to clean up your life, to become holy. 
I can't remember who the preacher was, but a long time ago I heard a preacher say that God never pours his blessings into filthy vessels. Then he elaborated on it and said it in normal terms. God is not going to pour his blessings into a dirty can. And he said, some of your lives are dirty cans. So the best thing you can do today, clean up your life. Confess your sins. Make sure you have a right relationship with the God. You want the blessings? God wants to give you the blessing. But he says the first thing is you need to, you need to clean up your life. You need to put me first and you need to become holy. Why do we need to be holy? Because number four, we're about to step into some deep water. I mean, it's going to get real deep. Verses 14 and 15. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. So this miracle happened during the spring when the snow had melted off of Mount Hermon and all the other mountains and raised the level of the river Jordan. During most of the year, the Jordan River is not that particularly impressive. It's only 100 feet wide and maybe 5 to 10 feet deep. But during the harvest season in ancient times, this raging river stretched perhaps a mile wide and was about 40 feet deep with a very strong current. Now, I've tried to picture in my mind a river a mile wide, 40 feet deep, that has a strong current. I, I did research, but I couldn't find the answer. I'm, I'm thinking maybe the Mississippi River at the Memphis Bridge that's been closed. Maybe that's about a mile wide. I couldn't find documentation on exactly how wide the Mississippi... Y'all have crossed that, haven't you? Okay? It's, it's pretty wide there. I do know that the bridge itself is a little over a mile and a half long, so maybe at that point the Mississippi River is a mile wide. Somebody did ask the question, is it safe to attempt swimming across the Mississippi River at Memphis? The answer is no. Don't try it because you're probably not going to make it. It's a very strong current. And that is exactly what the Israelites were facing with Joshua. They had this impassable river that they had to cross, and they had no idea how they were going to cross it. Joshua had no secret plan in his back pocket. The people didn't know how to navigate the dangerous waters of the Jordan. Only thing they had was a promise from God. You get the land on the other side, but you got to cross the river first. They, they didn't know how they were going to do it. Now, they had heard stories from their ancestors. Forty years before that, they knew that their moms and their dads had faced a similar situation, the Red Sea. And you know what? God came through. God parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. Maybe God was going to do something like that here, but they didn't know. Question is, what does faith look like when we're stuck in an impassable river? What does faith look like when we need to move forward, but we can't? Faith means trusting God even when your circumstances make no sense to you. We all come to crisis moments sooner or later, and the how of how God's going to do it is really none of our business. God is not obligated to explain himself 
as he arranges our life for his purpose. What do you do when God hems you in? What do you do when you face a river that is a mile wide, 40 feet deep, with strong current? Well, you trust God. <laughs> you just keep your eyes on God because you're about to step out into some deep water. And that is the fifth step here. It takes a step of faith. You've just got to be obedient to God. Look at verse 8. Tell the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So it was on the priests. Now, suppose you were one of these priests appointed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders. That is a high privilege and a great honor. And you really feel good about doing this until you hear that the Lord wants you to go put your foot in the river. The raging river. The overflowing river. And you're thinking, why stand in the river? That makes absolutely no sense. Why can't we just go stand near the river? What if the water washes me away? What if you can't swim? Here's where I needed some of your help. I searched for two days trying to find a little video, snippet of a video of somebody stepping into a raging river and just being swept away. Now, I've seen this happen. I've seen a video of this. Have you all ever seen anything like this? Like some idiot, and I'm standing over here not behind the pulpit so I can say idiot. Some, some idiot steps off into a river that is just raging, and it sweeps their feet up, and they shoo, take off. But I couldn't find one. I need some of y'all as sermon research helpers to help me find stuff like it. But you've got it in your mind now that I've talked about it, don't you? And I, and I can assume that's what some of these priests are thinking. This is crazy. I'm going to step in that river, and it's going to wash me away. But here's the bottom line. There's not going to be any miracle until the priests enter the water carrying the Ark of the Covenant. God arranged it that way. So that their faith would move them from safety to danger. It was a test. God is saying, anybody can trust me on dry ground. Let's get out in that deep water. Let's get our feet wet. Thank you, Jason. And see what's going to happen when you stand in raging water. You know what? The same thing is true for us today. There will be no miracle until we step out in faith. Now, remember point one, the exciting point one, wait. There is a time to wait, yes, but there's also a time to take a step of faith, a time where we need to move, where we have faith and put that faith into action. I've read numerous definitions of faith through the year. A couple of weeks ago, I read a new one that I really like. It says, faith is belief plus unbelief, but acting on the belief part. Let it compute. Faith is belief and unbelief, but acting on the belief part. And you know what? Practically, we all know that's true, don't we? It's like the story in the New Testament where this guy wanted Jesus to perform a miracle, and Jesus says, well, do you believe? And he said, yes, Lord, but help my unbelief. Because we've all been there. 
We believe, but we have doubts. We pray, and we don't see anything happen, and we wonder, is it going to happen for me? Here's the deal. If you wait until you're 100% certain, it's never going to happen because that's what faith is. Faith is taking that step, that leap into the unknown, doing what God asks us to do, trusting God to do it. You know what? God routinely asks us to do the impossible so that when it is done, who gets the credit for it? Well, God does. That's what's happening here. God says, you want a miracle? Go stand in the water. But Lord, that's crazy. God says, just do it. (laughs) You got to remember here, they don't know what's going to happen. They just see that mile wide river with the strong current. We know because we've read the end of the story, haven't we? They didn't know. Wow, I'm telling you what, that is faith. Give these priests credit. What they do? They stepped out in faith. God, help me to be that way. Help me to step out in faith when it doesn't make sense. Help me to step out in faith when others say it can't be done. Help me step out in faith when the devil says Ain't no way, dude. You can't do that. Help us to be people of faith who take that step of faith. Because here's what happened. When we take that step of faith, God does his thing. And that's what I called it, the God thing. Look at verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap. Now, I've tried to envision this, but I have a hard time visualizing this. Have you ever seen water piling up in a heap? Think about that. The water piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely shut off. It's early in the morning. The light is streaming from the eastern sky. The vast waters of the Jordan, the impassable river, is before God's people and the promised land. There are over two million Hebrews standing there, ready to cross the river, not knowing how in the world they're going to do it. And I can imagine you could hear a pin drop. It's, It's silent at that point. When these people consider this vast river in front of them. And and by the way, right beyond that, they can see the walls of Jericho glistening in the sun. And then all of a sudden, this little group of men emerges. They step out from the pack. They're the priests wearing these white robes, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Single file, they walk down the bank and into the flowing waters of the Jordan River. And as their feet enter the water, the river stops flowing from up north. It's almost as if God reached over and shut off the spigot to the Jordan River. It was a pure miracle of God. The water stopped flowing because it was heaped up in a place called Adam, about 17 miles north of the crossing. Meanwhile, the the water going south flowed on into the Dead Sea. This miracle, and that's what it was, 
It was a miracle happened after they obeyed. I'm going to say that again because everybody needs to say amen, right? The miracle happened after they obeyed, not before. If the priest had never stepped out into the raging torrent, no one would have crossed that day. It was only after they obeyed that the water heaped up in Adam. Now, how exactly did this happen? I've, I've read scholars who speculate and you know, they have all these theories. I think the best explanation comes from Joshua himself in chapter 3, verse 11, where Joshua calls God the Lord of all the earth. It is the first time that phrase is found in the Bible. And again, Joshua is calling God the Lord of all the earth. And he is. He is sovereign God. And the God, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth called down to the Jordan River. And God said to the Jordan River at the town of Adam, stop flowing. And the Jordan River obeyed. Now dudes, dudes and dudettes, that is amazing. That's a miracle. Can you do something like that? Absolutely not. Your dog doesn't even come when you call their name. <laughs> this is an absolute miracle from God. It is absolutely amazing. It's a God thing. And don't you love it when God does his thing? What do we do when God does his thing? Well, it's number seven on my list. We walk on. We just walk on. Look at verse 17b. While all Israel passed by, the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. There were at least 2 million people, so it's going to take a few hours for everyone to cross. But no matter, the miracle lasted as long as Hebrews were crossing the river. No one was left behind. We come to the end of the story in verse 17. Here's what it says. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river. They are carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood level just as before. So the miracle lasted as long as they needed it and not one second longer. If a, if a visitor had traveled that way the very next day, it would have been mind-boggling to them because they would have seen two million sets of footprints going down into this river, and they wondered, what in the world happened to those people? Hmm. God had two specific purposes for this miracle. I think the first purpose was he wanted to exalt Joshua as the anointed leader. Just as Moses had led the people across the Red Sea, now Joshua had led the people across the Jordan River. Just as God was with Moses, so God is going to be with Joshua. The second reason, though, for this miracle is that it prepared the Jews for the battles to come. Very soon, these people were going to embark on seven years of warfare as they conquered the promised land. In fact, when Joshua explained the miracle to the people, he gave this reason in Joshua 3.10. This is how you will know 
that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and all of those other ites. He's saying this, if God can cause the Jordan to pile up in a heap, all of these Ike brothers are going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> Amen. So walk on, man, with your head high and your chest out because you're walking with God. Question as I close. You got any rivers in front of you? If not today, let me tell you, you will have. God has blessings for everyone. God wants to bless you. Now, I'm not one of these health and wealth preachers. Y'all know that. But I do believe God has blessings for us. God wants to use us and do amazing things in us and through us. But before that happens, we've got to cross the river. And let me just suggest one final thought from this story. The only way you're going to successfully cross that river is by yielding everything to the Lord. You've got to yield your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Yielding means giving up the right to give God advice. And when it comes time to move, we step out in faith. Just leave the results in his hands. That's hard to do because we're fearful. We don't know about that river or even what's on the other side of it. And, here it is, Lord, we've never passed this way before. I told the first service people, I'm, I'm so excited about our new worship center. But you know what? Part of it scares me because we've never worshipped over there before. We've never been there before. I know, I know one problem right now. A lot of you balcony people are going to be disappointed because there ain't no balcony over there. You've been high and lifted up. You think you're better than all these people. No, no. But I fear this. What, maybe all these balcony people are just going to quit coming to church. They're going to go look for another church that has a balcony. We've never passed this way before. That can be scary, but, but here's what we need to know. If God calls us to move forward into the unknown, we don't need to fear because God's already there. God never asks us to go anywhere without going before us as we travel by faith. So when we say, God, I am afraid of the future, the Lord says, afraid of the future. Why in the world, my child? I invented the future. So why would we fear crossing the Jordan River? Jesus has crossed it already. Jesus went into the dark waters of death, and Jesus came out victorious on the other side. And that's why we don't have to cross Jordan alone. You may find yourself this morning in a difficult place right now. Let me tell you, you're not there by accident. God who brought you to this place won't leave you now. You don't need to know what he's going to do tomorrow. You don't even need to know what tomorrow holds as long as you know who holds tomorrow. So what do we do when we face this river? Well, what they did, you need to wait, trust, and obey. Wait on God's timing. 
Trust him when he says move out. You just step out in faith and obey him in whatever he tells us to do. If you're backed up in a corner right now, don't give up. If you're facing a Jordan River, don't turn around and run the other way. In fact, here's what we need to do. We just need to go down to the river. How about down to the river and pray? I've asked a friend of mine, Allison Krause, if she would sing our invitation. So, Miss Allison, would you, would you sing our invitation? As I went down. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go promise, the way to your life, the way to the blessings that you have for us. Lord, for those who are facing a river right now, help them to trust and obey, help them to yield their will to your will. Lord, please bless us. Bless us individually. Bless us as families. Bless our church. 
Bless this country. Lord, start that revival in our hearts today. Help us to be obedient to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. Allison did pretty good on the invitation, didn't she? That was awesome. Hey, uh, just a couple of reminders. When you walk out of the room today, uh, put your offering in the black box or you can give online. 6.30 tonight, we're going to have Bible study online. Don Smith is going to be teaching that, so tune in to Facebook Live. Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we have uh, classes for all ages. And also, I was told early this morning that uh, there's some kids who want to be in Bible memorization this year, and so Miss Chris and Miss Angela are going to be meeting with them at 6.30 beginning this Wednesday night. So if you've got a, a kid, I think from kindergarten up through the sixth grade, and would like them to be involved in Bible memorization, it's a good thing. Eh? They're memorizing the Bible, and uh, Miss Chris is really good at that. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. And we've got a long list of people who are going to be baptized. So we're going to baptize in both services. If you've been saved but never baptized, come and see me or one of the other pastors. We want to get you on that list. You're awesome. But God is more awesome. So why don't you follow him this week? God bless you. You're dismissed. Music.